Hello and welcome to our very first pilot episode of the Timeless Lore Podcast. I'm your co-host Adam. I'm your co-host Oshin. And here we will be discussing lore of all time. All that was and all that will ever be. Joining us today is your local Lithuanian, Simis Cosgrove. Hello, how are you? So how this is going to work is we have two hosts and one guest. And we've each brought a 10-minute topic to the table. We'll be discussing movies, TV shows, literature, history, and much, much more. So, starting this off, we're going to have Ushin. Alright, I will be discussing the lore of the Season 2 update of a game called Overwatch 2. Well, it's the second game. Um, Overwatch is a first-person shooter MOBA game where you and four other players online work as a team to complete an objective um, using various unique characters. Um, Now, there is a lineup of characters in this game, and this update added a new character, which is a very rare occurrence. Um, So I thought it would be important to discuss it. Um, The new character that was added is Ramatra. He's the 36th playable character in Overwatch 2 and the 11th tank hero. Um, I will be discussing his lore and origins and his gameplay. Ramatra was built initially as a Ravager in the Omnic War. However, he did not want to be a war machine. He generally just wanted a better life for the Omnic people. After the Omnic Crisis, the Ravagers were killed off one by one, leaving Ramatra as the last Ravager. Full of rage and confusion, Ramatra travelled to Nepal to join the Shambhali clan with the hope that humans and Omnics could coexist. This is where the new map takes place, by the way. He is also the one who recruited another playable character in the game, Zenyatta, to the Shambhali clan. The two were like brothers. However, over time, Ramatra felt that the Mandata and the Shambhali clan weren't doing enough and grew to hate humanity for their poor treatment of the Omnics. So what is the goal of these playable characters? Now, Overwatch is a team um, that consists of characters or people with unique skills and abilities um, who fight crime and try and improve their world that has a lot of gro- global crises such as war, um, robot invasion, um, even climate crises. So, um, and you can play as these characters, um, but you can also play as the antagonist of Overwatch. Rematra is an antagonist of Overwatch. Um, uh, he concluded that the only way his Omnic people would be treated as equals to humans would be through force. So he left the Shambhali clan, cutting his ties with Senyata. And he, and he morphed his body into a hulking machine, uh, bigger than he ever was before. He began to free Omnic slaves all around the world, and eventually grew a strong following, which is the Null Sector. Um, the Omnic Extremist, Omnic Extremist Liberation Faction. He built armies of obsolete robots. Now, what are the Omnic? The Omnic people are sentient robots that coexist with humans who have formed their own society. Although the humans are <laughs> quite racist in a way and don't give them very good rights or fair treatment for what they are. Um, the Omnic people, they, they consist of all shapes and sizes, although generally they don't look like Ramatra. Ramatra is specifically a war-built Omnic. So Ramatra is a freedom fighter for... Yeah, for his, his own people. He was intended to be used by the humans, but he uh, turned against them. 
he formed the Null Sector. Um, he, he, he formed an army of obsolete robots and attacked King's Row, where the team of Overwatch stepped in. Over time, Null Sector grew strong and were contacted by Doomfist of Tawin, another antagonist team to Overwatch, whose goal is really just to rule the world through um, unethical means such as Karn, um, uh, to form an alliance with Tawin. Um, so, his gameplay. Uh, I think Ramatra has great lore. I think it's very unique to a lot of the other characters. There's no other Omnic character. There is Zenyatta. And I like the way it cut, uh, he's sort of a yin-yang. He's a yang to Zenyatta's yin. He's the dark form, I guess. He's very interesting. Um, and I think his lore is great, because generally characters, most of them get good lore, but his one is, I'd say it can make top three of the 36 characters who each have unique backstories. So compared to other characters, he does have a very excessive amount of lore. Yes, definitely. Um, probably because he's one of the newer, more worked on characters. So his gameplay. Ramatra has two forms, his Omnic form and his Nemesis form. The Omnic form weapon is the Void Accelerator, which is a staff that continuously shoots purple projectiles that do 4.5 damage per projectile making it great for just slowly lowering opponents for your team to finish off, um, or to just pick off opponents on low HP. Um, it has no damage fall off and has great range, even picking off opponents in the sky. The, in the Omnic form, his first ability is the Void Barrier, which can appear anywhere up to 35 meters and goes away after four seconds. It has 1000 HP, um, so it generally won't be broken before it disappears. Every 8 seconds, Ramatra can um, switch to his nemesis form, which is his hulking robot form that I discussed earlier. This form grants Ramatra an extra 150 armor to his HP bar, transforming him into a true tank, and changes your main ability and weapon. Ramatra's weapon... Um, Ramatra's weapon in his nemesis form are his fists, which send blasts of 60 damage up to 12 meters. These fists have unlimited ammunition, so you can use them infinitely for your 8 seconds of nemesis form. These punches can't be absorbed by a sigma, blocked by a diva, and even go through barriers. What's a sigma and diva? Sigma is another playable character who is a member of Talon, the other ag antagonist organization. He is a scientist who has unique gravitational powers. Diva is a famous gamer and a member of Overwatch. She uses her mech to defeat uh, her enemies with her um, great gaming skill. She can pilot her mech quite uh, with great expertise. Um, and they both have very good defensive abilities, such as Sigma, where he will absorb projectiles, and Diva, where she will block any projectile, except for these fists. Well, they're not really projectiles, they shoot like energy blasts. Well, um, uh, while in Nemesis form, you can't use your barrier, but you can block, which is an ability that reduces um, damage um, by 75% while you put your arms across your, ar your face. This ability is pretty overpowered. It has no cooldown. This even blocks a fully charged High Noon from McCree. His final ability is Ravenous Vortex, which can be used regardless of what form you're in. 
Mantra throws a Nano Ball, which creates a circular area where enemies will take 15 damage a second and are slowed by 40% and, he, and can pull down enemies from the sky. So you mentioned earlier that Ramatra is a tank. How much health does Ramatra have compared to other characters? So generally, tank's main, tank's main goal are to be walls for the team. They take damage so the other characters can be protected and do their own thing from behind. Ramatra is 450, which is actually lower than the average tank, but in his nemesis form, he gains an extra 150, which is 600, which is higher than the average. The average, in my opinion, would be 550 HP. He gains armor, which protects him mainly from um, shots, bullets, not so much from abilities. He's, he's probably one of the better characters in the game with this health. Um, Ramatra's ultimate is Annihilation, where Ramatra goes into Nemesis form and creates a radius of 13 meters around him, and anyone caught in this um, area will take 30 damage per second. This ultimate technically only lasts 3 seconds, but as long as you are damaging any enemy with it, the, um, the timer will not go down. This is a great ultimate. While I have some tips for playing Ramatra, Anna plays pairs really well with him. Nanoing his nemesis form means his melee blasts with great range do 120 damage, and his repairs really well with his ultimate. Essentially, he works really anywhere, up front, lowering enemies and finishing them off in nemesis form, providing barrier support, or even just in the back and picking off enemies. He goes anywhere, and he works really well with nanos and being supported by your uh, supports. So in your opinion, is he a versatile character? He, in my opinion, he could be the most versatile character in the game. But and that's all I have to say about Ramatra. And would this make him a good character in the game? This would make him a great character. Okay, thank you, Oshin, for that.
Welcome back. And that was from the Avatar The Way of Water soundtrack. It is nothing it is called Nothing Is Lost, You Give Me Strength by the Weekend. And it is part of the brand new Avatar 2 movie, directed by James Cameron. Now I would just like to announce that we will be playing music in all our intervals between our topics. We'll be playing old music, new music, and some music chosen by you. If you want to see a song in our next episode, leave it down in the comments, and we'll try and include it in our next episode. So, our next topic will be Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Now, this is the long-awaited sequel from James Cameron's first movie, Avatar, in 2009. It is a long-awaited, and after 13 years, we finally have a sequel. Now, some background information on Avatar, just in case you haven't seen it. It became the highest-grossing film of all time, topping Titanic, another one of James Cameron's films. However, in Avengers Endgame now holds the crown of the most highest-grossing movie of all time. However, there is speculation that Avatar 2 might be the thing to top Avengers Endgame. We'll have to see. So, Avatar 2 follows Jake Sully's family after, after the attack from the humans. By this stage, Pandora has gotten back to a peaceful state with Jake as the leader of the Navi in the forest. Now he has raised a family with his wife, Natiri. So just an overview of the cast. We have Sam Worthington, Zoe Zaldana, Sigourney Weaver, and Stephen Lang returning. Sam Worthington is Jake Sully. Zoe Zaldana is Natiri. Sigourney Weaver is a new character called Kiri, and Stephen Lang is Conal Cortage. Just a quick question. Who do you think from, as, as you've seen the movie, who do you think performed the best in the movie? As like, which was the best new character? The new, well, the new characters are the children of Jake Sully and Ntiri. And those are Nietan, Loak, and Tuk, as well as Kira being an adopted child. I think the best performance would probably Nietan, the oldest son. Although he does not have the biggest role in the movie, he is a powerful uh, character when he does have screen time. He is the older brother, and he is the more uh, traditional one yeah. of the two sons. He's the one that um, is more of the perfect child. Of. And this is what Loak is always looking up to. While Loak is more of a, a rebel, he does look up to Nayatan. And... So, all of these new characters perform really well, especially Sigourney Weaver returning as Kiri. So, back to the plot. So, the humans return to Pandora, kicking Jake Sully and his family out of, Pan out of the forest of Pandora. They then have to travel to the ocean lands, where they meet a new clan. The clan accepts them in, as Jake Sully is a renowned warrior of the Navi, and he is accepted into the tribe first half of the movie focuses on all the kids getting used to the no new ocean land. And it must be said, although the scenes over land are very beautiful, the scenes underwater are not only revolutionary, but beautiful. Probably one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. So this first half is a bit slow, with not much action, but very good character work and very good development in the world of Pandora 
and of our new characters and their relationships with this new tribe. However, back on Maland, a young human boy that was left behind by the human party in the first movie, Spider, has been left behind by Jake Sully. He, unknowingly, is the Colonel's son. And as the Jake Sully and his family retreat from the humans, Colonel Quartich has returned, but not in his human body, in, his, in a new avatar body. He, and along with some of his troops, have been revived as an avatar, and they are intent on crushing Jake Sully. With information from Spider, Colonel Quartich soon makes his way to the Oceanlands, where he begins a, a ravaging, a ravaging uh, war against the innocent tribes of the water. Soon, Jake is alerted of his presence, and conflict ensues. So, I feel that the first half of the movie is slow, but some of the scenes we get are very powerful. Uh, especially Loak meeting the whales. That was a very, very powerful scene as he saw the tribe's people, you know, feel so, so, so strongly for these whales. Uh, what did you think of the first half of the film? I thought that, yeah, like, there is much to be said on that from what you've stated, but it really just focuses on developing the characters. As they're rushed out of their forest pretty quickly. Um, so they need to have, their characters need to be developed and it's a beauty, I, I'm not exaggerating when I think it's the most gorgeous movie I've ever seen the CGI is like perfect and I can see how they spent almost two billion on it two billion dollars on it I think it's really good um, the lack of action was I will admit it did make it a bit dull but like compared with the beautiful CGI and the character development it is entertaining what about you, Simis? What did you think of this first half of the movie? I agree with both of you, and I have not much to add. Yeah, I really liked how it, it moved one scene to another. It had a really nice flow to it, in my opinion. I, it was really beautiful. The character development was quite good. Basically what you just said. It's just really, really well done movie. And many people would criticise this lack of action. But there is a very big action sequence going maybe half an hour to 40 minutes in the second half of this movie. And that is when Jake Sully and the tribe mustered their forces to push Colonel Quartich out of the Waterlands. However, Jake knows this is a trap because the humans will only send more ships out and Colonel Quartich is only one pawn in this game. However, high stakes ensue when Colonel Quartich captures a few of the kids from the village and uh, from the village, holding them as hostages to draw Jake Sully out. Finally, a big battle ensues, with the humans getting overwhelmed pretty quickly, but Conan Quartich does not go down easily. Eventually, in a final battle, Jake Sully overpowers the Conan, and he sinks to the bottom of the ocean. However, Spider, who has been held hostage by the humans, has, has grown to like his father, and saves Conan, the Conan, by dragging him back up to land. However, Spider does not want to stay with the Conal, and he goes back and joins Jake Sully and his family. So, by the end of this movie, we know that the Conal has survived, and we also know that the humans are on their way to the Waterlands, and that is why Jake Sully decides at the end of the movie that he has to move on. This is no longer a safe place for the tribesmen or him. 
So this is no victory for the Navi, but it sets up new characters such as the chief's daughter and obviously the kids who have a very big role to play uh, in this movie and also probably in the franchise. Um, you mentioned that uh, earlier that there's a long um, lack of action in the build-up to what happens in the second half of the movie. Do you think it was worth the wait? Definitely. I think, although some people might find this a bit slow, maybe even boring at parts, it is definitely worth the character development. Uh, for example, Kiri, voiced by uh, Sigourney Weaver, has a moment near the start, near the start of the, the movie when they first move to the water tribes, where she moves her hand and these small shimmering fish follow the movements of her hand. And also another scene is where Kiri connects her braid into a, an underwater version of the soul tree from the first movie. This causes her to have a vision of her mother. It also sends her into shock, which nearly kills her. But it is a good moment to see just how connected to this world Kiri is. And there's a big payoff of that when Kiri pretty much saves the day by moving plants around to break open the ship and let her family trapped inside out. So definitely, I would say it is worth the wait with some very good payoff moments. Uh, you said that uh, Spider saved the Colonel. Uh, would that suggest future movies in later years uh, as it left us off on a cliffhanger? Uh, yes, so definitely we will see, we'll definitely see I think it. they've announced a third movie, just to make a trilogy. No, they have, they've already filmed the third movie, and they will, they've nearly finished filming the fourth movie already. So there's definitely more sequels to come. But uh, definitely in the future we will see Spider and the Colonel have a love-hate relationship. Maybe like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, where they will be fighting on opposing sides. But they do love each other they do love each other. So I think that's all I have to say about this movie and I would definitely, definitely recommend checking this one out.
that was I Fought the Law by The Clash, which is an old song, but in my opinion, a classic. Now discussing Wednesday is our guest, the local Lithuanian, Simis. Hi, hello. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm honored to be in the first episode of it. It's It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, yeah. Um, So many of you might have probably heard or seen the new Netflix hit series Wednesday, which is a spin-off of the original Adams Family. Now, looking back at the history of the Adams Family, uh, the characters were originally drawn by cartoonist Charles Adams in 1838. The characters were used in 150 different uh, cartoons, which were irrelevant to the family, uh, published by the New York the New Yorker Times, uh, uh, and in nineteen sixty four to nineteen sixty six, the first Adams Family series was starred, giving them the recognition they deserved. Uh, this led on to many different series and movies made, in uh, from between nineteen ninety one to nineteen ninety eight, a trilogy. The Adams Family was made. Uh, the three movies were called The Adams Family, The Adams Family Values. Uh, I would assume that um, Wednesday is a spin-off uh, of The Adams Family. Uh, focusing on Wednesday because, in my opinion, I would estimate that she's probably the most popular character of the series. Well, she's definitely the most dynamic. And if you were to... Well-written, I would say. Well-written, yeah. But even... Uh, she's not unique, but definitely looking at the other characters, well, we've got Gomez, the spooky man, we've got Morticia, spooky woman, but that isn't really too much. But I think people can relate to Wednesday. And, you know, I think she's the most interesting character out of the bunch. And many of the Adams Family projects focus on her, notably the Adams Family animated movies, which I didn't really like, but they focus mostly on Wednesday as a character, even though they start the entire family. Yep. I agree so too. Wednesday is played by Gina Ortega in the series. And in the series, Wednesday is a failing student and she's been expelled from a school, uh, letting in piranhas to eat the main athlete's left testy. (laughs) She's been expelled and she was sent to Nevermore, which is uh, an academy for misfits like her. Examples of misfits are Enid, her roommate, which is expected to turn into a werewolf, and Bianca, a siren, which is another example of the school of misfits. Uh, In the the plot of the movie is that... um, The plot of the series is that Wednesday gets caught up in a murder mystery that involved her parents 25 years earlier and she has to find a, a monster which is controlled by someone that's killing off everyone that is a misfit what are your personal opinions on the series so far if you've seen it i think it was quite suspenseful and enticing well it it, it wasn't very complicated i do th- i do think that it had a quality that kept people hooked by with its suspense and its simplicity really it's not really a series that you will uh, in my opinion anyways i watched it very just mindlessly and i enjoyed watching it like that i wa- i listened to it in the background as i was doing things 
and I thought it was quite entertaining. I think Wednesday is a good character, although I do think she gets worse over the series' progression, due to the fact that it doesn't really stay true to her original character as time goes on, in my opinion. But overall, I think it was I think it was a good series, and we'll definitely be seeing it season two. Well, I think although Wednesday is a good character, she is pretty watered down, and you might think, well, she is still dark. Well. Derek was not her only personality, and I think the Jenna Ortega's character doesn't really go that much further than the the quirky Derek remarks. And I think this gets really annoying very fast, and as Oshin said, she gets worse as time progresses. I think this is definitely something to think about, and she tries to uphold this image of a goth with no feelings, you know, that she's impenetrable, but I think... The series does a bad job of handling this. Instead of making her open up in a meaningful way, she's just kind of changed and molded as the series goes on. And you don't see any real change. Maybe she develops some relationships, but there's no real change to her character. She's still the quipping teenager. Not, you know, she's not anything deeper. And, you know, although the series has tried to move her forward, I don't think she really changes that much as a character. And I think the school as a whole is not a good setting for Wednesday, as I think it's more of a Riverdale high school, and it focuses a lot more on teen drama. And I don't think Wednesday, really, I don't think it matters if it was Wednesday or some other quirky character. All you need for a show to be adored by teenagers is one quirky character and one school with teen drama. And I don't think it had to be a fantasy school. I think the show could have worked with any character, and they've just cherry-picked Wednesday. And I prefer the Adams family as a whole because the entire point of the Adams family is that they're a family. They all have a similar character trait, which is being spooky, but they all have distinctly different personalities. And this is why I think it works as a sitcom. And this suspense show doesn't really work for me, and I found it quite boring sometimes. My opinion on it was that uh, they, I don't think it was a good idea to focus Wednesday as the main character. Because uh, if you watched the previous series and movies, you'd realize that the Adams family is a family thing, and all the different opinions of the different family members makes the movie or series much, much more interesting and more enjoyable to watch. Uh, this spin off series uh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's lost his speech here. Um, but I think overall, good no show. Don't personally enjoy it, but I can see why many people are relating to this I character. Think, I think it's good for teens because I think what really is good about it is that it took a previous generational concept, the Adams Family, which I'm sure if you ask your parents if you're a kid, they might have probably heard of them. And I think it's a way of passing on that enjoyment to teens with the best character in a more simple way that can appeal to them, which I think is nice because it carries on... Um, enjoyment from generation to generation but one thing i must mention is that in this series wednesday is given a similar treatment to the character of eddie munson from the other from another netflix show stranger things and where he has one quirky personality trait and basically fans adore him but if you were to see someone like wednesday in real life you would be friends with them the same as with eddie munson the same people that adore him would never go near him and probably call him a freak. And I think it's the fact that there's one quirky personality trait and you fall in love with this character, but in truth, 
you don't really like this character. And that is why I think Wednesday as a main character falls short. Because when you kind of discard all her quirky quips, there's not much to the character except for a sad teen, which is a thing we already have in many other forms of media. One gripe I do have with the show, and I, I suppose this isn't really a valid point, but I do want to mention it. The show focuses on Wednesday, but in the earlier episodes, you see a bit of her family. I think it's in the first episode. But I really hate how they portrayed her family. I think it was genuinely awful. Pugsley, his personality sucks. Um, he's supposed to be this, pl- you know, plucky, almost wild, reckless, um, loose cannon type of young boy. Um, her mom is supposed to be a lot like Wednesday, brooding, Morticia. But all the characters in her family just feel so dry, and so does Wednesday. It seems like like what Adam was saying. They just watered down their personality to one trait, and only focused on that. But in the if you look at the earlier movies, they have a lot to them. Like, genuinely. The animated movie wasn't great, but if you look at the earlier things, like the live-action, dressed-up movies, like, genuinely, the characters have a lot to them. Yeah, um, definitely, if you look at some of the movies, Wednesday tries to change for the worse by trying to make herself conform to the norm, and that is one of that is one of Wednesday's bigger themes, but instead of seeing Wednesday struggle with self-identity, we don't really get that. We just get a shallower version of her personality. So I think we have to wrap up now, and I think we're really glad to have you on, Simis. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you in later episodes. Hopefully, yeah. So this, this has been Timeless Lore, where um, we'll discuss all lore that has happened and all lore to come. We'll see you in the next one. And remember, comment down any more songs you would like to see on our next episode. We appreciate the um, information. Thank you. Bye.